Good morning, Highland Community Church. We're glad that you have joined us. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Let's ask God to guide our time. And before we do, just so you know, uh, there are spiritual gift inventories online if you're interested in trying to discover your spiritual gift, because that's what we're talking about today. Let's now go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you, Father, for a nation that we live in, for the freedoms that we enjoy. Yet, Father, as we come up to an election, we ask, Father, that those women and men that you have chosen to lead this nation at all levels, that you would lead us to elect them, that we would exercise our freedom of voting wisely, biblically. Father, we so want a third great awakening. We've had two in our history. We realize that those don't come through politics, but through a moving of your spirit. And yet, Father, we also know that you have given us the privilege in this republic to exercise our right to vote. And so we ask that you would give us wisdom that we might vote for those individuals that would most adhere to biblical truths and that they would govern us well. Father, we ask that you would bless our nation. We don't deserve it. We recognize that. We have been idolaters. We have been immoral. We have not valued life. And yet, Lord, in spite of our sin, and we confess it readily, we ask that you might still bless us and allow us to serve well, allow us to vote well, allow us to live in ways that honor you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. I had the privilege of growing up in a Bible-centered church. And a lot of people in that church impacted my life. I think of the year that I was in sixth grade. Our church had partnered with Moody Bible University. It was called Moody Bible Institute in those days. And in those days, they allowed the local church to teach college courses. One per semester, two per year. Our church began to do that. And the first course offered was a course on Genesis, the 50 chapters of Genesis. And there were 25 adults in that class, and, and I petitioned the teacher, and as a sixth grader, he allowed me to join the 25 adults. And there were papers, and there were readings, and there were assignments, and there were tests. And the second week, we had our first test, and I failed the test miserably. I was not up to the speed in which this course was being taught. I thought for sure that the teacher would come to me and say, I want you to go back to your sixth grade class. But instead he said, hey, how about we meet during the week and I'll tutor you. And together we'll get through this course and you'll learn the book of Genesis. He'll never know how much that meant to me. He'll never know how that built into my life a love for God's word. I think of another man. His name is Jim. Jim was the choir director in the church that we attended. Jim worked tirelessly 
to bring us two cantatas every year. I love cantatas. And so the choir was mostly adults, but there were a few teens. I was one of them. Did Jim need me in the choir? Well, let's, let's look at the facts. I don't read music, and I can sing about two notes, usually at the wrong time. Jim did not need me. I'm not musically inclined, but he saw a love for God's music in me, and he allowed me to join them. And that grew my love for God. I think of another family. They were generational Christians. When some of them would serve in youth group, you wanted to be in their small group. When we would have a church work day, even if they were painting walls, you wanted to be right next to them painting the walls because they would sprinkle their love for Jesus and their wisdom for life into one's life. When one of their family members died very young from cancer, we had a front row seat to see their faith in Jesus, their commitment to the Lord, their trust and their hope in the afterlife, their conviction that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that was inspiring. So why do I take you down memory lane? talking about a place you've never been and people you don't know. It's because I want you to know as you utilize your spiritual gifts, as you've done so in the past or if you're doing in the present or about to in the future, I want you to know that short of eternity, you will not know what God does in and through you in the lives of others. Maybe helping in a Sunday school class or with One Way or Generation 180, or maybe in a nursery praying over babies. You don't know what that prayer will do. Or maybe using your trade skills to set up and take down and to do plumbing and electrical work. Or maybe acts of mercy helping the needy. You never know, short of glory, what God is going to do through you. Thank you for using the gifts that God has entrusted to you. As we think about spiritual gifts, I want to pick up in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, unbelievers, you were led astray to mute idols. Any faith other than one in Jesus Christ is idolatry. However you were led, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between the Spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. 
Now our text is about spiritual gifts which are designed by God, given by God to us at the moment of conversion or later on that we might build up the bride, the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are only uniquely used in the church and God gives them. At the moment in which you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, God gave you one or more spiritual gifts. But even later on in life, in our Christian life, God might give us additional gifts. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, earnestly desire the greater gifts. It's also why Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 14, he says, do not neglect the gifts that were given to you through the laying on of hands by the elders. You know, Timothy came to Christ at a young age. But when he became a man and the Ephesian church was going to send him out, the elders laid hands on him, prayed, and he was given additional gifts that he might serve the body of Christ. God desires you, me, us to serve the body of Christ, to use our spiritual gifts. Now, what exactly are spiritual gifts? They are the capacity to excel. They're not the guarantee of excelling because we need to develop our gifts, fan the flame that God has given us, but they're the capacity to excel in an area or areas of ministry to advance God's kingdom, God's glory, for God's purposes. We get to participate in that as believers. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I've got to tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need one another for spiritual maturity. You, I, will never reach spiritual maturity. We will never become what God desires us to become without one another. There are 61 another passages in the Bible. We are designed to need one another. Online church may be necessary for some right now, but it is not ideal and it is not God's design long term because we need one another. We're going to see that next week, but let me just look at a shorthand passage of what we'll see next week in Romans 12, 4 to 6. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And then he goes on to list a number of spiritual gifts. In some ways, the body of Christ is like a beehive. Now, Highland has several individuals who have beehives. So you know what you're talking about. I just read a little bit. And I understand that beehives can be 10,000 bees, even up to 60,000 bees. They all have a queen. And there are different types of bees, and all the bees have different roles, and they function together to make the hive successful. There are worker bees. Now, in a hive, they're all women. They're all female, but not so in the church. Worker bees care for the young and clean up the hive. So worker bees in the church might serve in the nursery, male and female, might serve in Sunday school or one-way club or Generation 180. 
And then they clean up the hive. They might do setup or takedown. They might do maintenance. That's what worker bees do. There are forager bees. Forager bees go out and bring food back, sustenance back. And they also look for future places for the hive. And so what is spiritual substance? Sustenance is the word of God. So a forger might teach the word of God in a connection home group, in a connection care group, or in a Sunday school class, or in a small group Bible study, nurturing people. And then they're looking for future endeavors. Where would God take us sometime in the future? Then there are guard bees. They protect the hive. I think of guard bees like our greeters and our ushers and our security team. They're welcoming people, but they're always looking out to make sure that the hive, that the church stays safe. We need guard bees. And then there's the undertaker bees. They're removing the dead bees so that disease does not impact the hive. I think this is kind of like elders and pastors. They're making sure that spiritual disease does not impact the church. They're looking for false teaching and heresy and the like. And they're holding us accountable to the word of God. And there's plaster or cement bees. They're always doing repair. They're kind of like those trade individuals, women and men, who have plumbing or electrical or construction, and they're always building and doing things behind the scenes to make things run. Like those with technical skills, doing sound and PowerPoint and the like, they're making things run. And all of these bees are necessary for the hive to work. All of these bees or Christ followers are necessary in order for the church to work. We are like a beehive and God has empowered us with different gifts. We'll see some in verses 8 to 10. But before we get to 8 to 10, let's look at the verses that proceed. And in verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. In other words... The Corinthians were ignorant about spiritual gifts. They were out of balance. We'll see in the text that they tended to favor certain types of spiritual gifts. Those that were more subjective, more glamorous perhaps, more spiritual sounding like tongues and interpretation and miracles and healings. And they were ignoring the objective gifts like knowledge and wisdom and exhortation and teaching. They were on the subjective side and they forgot about the objective. Kind of like some Christ followers, they come to me and they say, I had a dream, Pastor, last night. Let me tell you about it and perhaps you can interpret it. And I'm like, I don't interpret dreams. Well, what does it mean, Pastor? I don't know. Maybe you had a little bit too much caffeine the night before. I'm not sure. I'm more on the objective side. Paul, I think, is more on the objective side. Now, we'll talk about tongues and healing and prophecy. We'll leave it for a later sermon. I think it deserves a sermon all of its own. But know this. We need subjective and we need objective in our faith. Those Christ followers who are too much on the subjective side, they're not rooted in the word of God, 
They end up in heresy. And those Christ followers who are only objective without a subject of love for God, they end up in legalism. We need both within the church of Jesus Christ. So Paul warns them, we don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. In fact, he says, you've been led astray, verse 2, by mute idols. That's been your, ha- your past. And then he says something very interesting in verse 3. He says, no one by the Spirit of God can say Jesus is anathema. Or by the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of man say Jesus is Lord. And you kind of scratch your head and you say, well, I don't know about that. I mean, can an unbeliever say Jesus is Lord? And can a believer say Jesus is anathema? Isn't that possible? Well, physically, yes. But understand that the text is culturally in a historical situation. And Paul is writing from a historical situation in which Christ followers, new believers in Jesus, coming out of Judaism, are being persecuted by Pharisees. And if you say, Jesus is Lord, the Pharisees are going to persecute you, and your people are going to persecute you. So no unbeliever would ever say, Jesus is Lord, because it would result in persecution. It's only by the Spirit of God, the power of God's Word, having a subject of love for God, having an object of faith in the Word of God, that a believer can withstand the persecution and say, Jesus is Lord. And so having established the necessity for both a subjective, love-filled faith and objective, hand-on-the-word-of-God faith, Paul then delves into spiritual gifts. Let me read verses 4 to 7 again. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is in the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each believer is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, interestingly enough, you and I live in a day and age where sometimes we have divided Christians between charismatic Christians, non-charismatic Christians, anti-charismatic Christians. I understand why we've done that, but there's a little naivety when we do so. Do you know what the Greek word for gift is? It's charismata. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've come to the end of yourself, you've recognized that you are a sinner as I am, and we've placed our sin at the foot of the cross, and by faith we believed in Jesus Christ, His death as a payment of our sin, his resurrection as evidence of life after the grave. And we have confessed that we are sinners in the power of God's Spirit. We begin to turn away, repent of our sin, and believe Christ as Savior and Lord. We are charismatic Christians because at the moment in which we accepted Christ, God gave us one or more spiritual gifts. And maybe later on in life, 1 Timothy 4.14, we've been given additional gifts as well. We're all charismatic Christians because charismatic means gifted, and we have been gifted by God to do works of ministry, to advance the kingdom, to build up his bride, the church. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed, Christ followers. And so he begins to talk about some of the gifts. And in verse 8, he mentions both wisdom and knowledge. 
Wisdom is Sophia. Knowledge is Gnosis. I want to handle them together. Knowledge, the second one listed, is the accumulation of biblical information. Some of you are incredible. You got your hand on the text. Praise the Lord. You know the word of God. Praise the Lord. You are steeped in biblical truth. You have knowledge. Praise the Lord. We need you. But knowledge alone just shares the truth of the word, but we also need wisdom coupled with knowledge. Wisdom takes biblical knowledge and rightly applies it to our college or our, to our culture. Wisdom takes biblical knowledge and rightly applies it to our lives. Wisdom takes biblical knowledge and tells us how we ought to live based on the word of God. And so we need individuals with the knowledge of the word of God and with wisdom to rightly apply it to us. Both gifts are so desperately needed. So we have wisdom, we have knowledge, and we have faith, pistis. This is interesting because every one of us who knows Christ has faith. We have saving faith. It's a gift given to us by the Lord. We believed in Jesus Christ. We accepted Christ as our Savior by faith. For by faith you are saved, right? For by grace you are saved through faith. It's saving faith, but that's not the gift of faith. Saving faith is what we needed to come to Christ. The gift of faith is given to some individuals who just see God for the impossible. We all know we have a miracle God, a miracle working God, but those with the gift of faith, they see the possibilities even in the impossibilities. Now, please understand, those with the gift of faith are not against planning. They're not against prayer. They're not against preparation. They're not about deficit spending. That's not faith. That's foolishness. Faith, though, says this is what we can do. And this is what we can do with God. And it goes beyond what we can do. But there is planning. There is preparation. There's wise use of resources. But it also expects God to, to show up in response to prayer and faith to do what only God can do. The next gift is the gifts, plural, of healing. Uh, charismata, I'm a ton. It's the only spiritual gift listed in the plural. Now, I believe that God is a miracle-working God. I believe, James 5, that the prayers of the righteous man or person are powerful and effective. And I believe that sick people can come to the elders. They can lay hands on the sick person, pray, and that God has healed, will heal. I've seen it. I, I believe it. But as for a spiritual gift of healings, I think some of these gifts like the public use of tongues and interpretation, the gifts of healings and miracles, I think they were dominated in the early part of the first few centuries. Before the church had the 66 books, the canon of scripture, and before they were widely disseminated among the churches all over the known areas. I think that's probably the beginning of the fourth century. So prior to that, I think some of those gifts were in 
greater supply and greater demand. I'm not denying that God can do miracles. I just think that this gift of healing is probably rare. Maybe be used in the third world more than the Western world. That's not denying that God can do the miraculous. Our God can do the miraculous. It's not denying that God can heal. Our God is healing, does heal. Praise him. But as a widespread gift today, I think those sign gifts pointed to Christ before we had the completed canon. More about that perhaps in a sermon in a couple weeks. The next gift, verse 10, the ability to distinguish spirits. Diachresis, through judgment, pneumaton, through the judgment of the spirits. Oh, is this gift needed today? This is an individual who sees a work of God or a work of a false teacher and a prophet. Matthew 24 tells us that the closer we come to the return of Christ, the more false teachers and prophets will arise. We need individuals who have the gift of discernment. We need individuals who understand what is the role of the church and does the role of the church rather than what people want the church to do. We need people who can discern what it is that the church ought to do and do it and do it well. Although not in the text, we have a few other gifts I'd like to interact with. Prohistomy, the, the gift of leadership. Leaders have followers. If you claim to be a leader and you're going somewhere and no one's following, I got to tell you, you're just out for a walk. Leaders gather people around and they lead people to truth, to the knowledge of the word, to the application, the wisdom of the word, to apply it to our lives. Leaders are willing to take the heat. And the heat comes when decisions are made on what the church does and doesn't do, what the church should be standing for and what it should be not standing for. Leaders lead, and some of you have the gift of leadership. Praise God for you. Two more gifts here are exhortation and teaching. Exhortation, paraclesis, is actually a word used of the Holy Spirit. He's called the paraclete, the comforter. An exhorter can look you squarely in the eye, can say even a wounding thing to you, can confront you with sinful wanderings, wound you, but they don't leave you wounded. They also are there to repair the damage, to build you back up. That's an exhorter. A teacher is someone who teaches the word of God. I think these gifts go well together. Jesus was a master teacher. He taught the word of God. <laughs> and he also wounded and repaired. And he was a comforter. Thank you to those of you who have the gifts of teaching and exhortation you have blessed our hearts. Then there's evangelism. Evangelistes. The Bible is very clear. All of us who know Christ ought to be telling others about Christ. A judgment is coming. And we need to be about the work of Jesus. 
telling people that salvation is in Christ alone. There is no salvation in anyone other than Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. And we ought to be bringing friends to church where they can hear the gospel. But some of us have been given the gift of evangelism in addition to the command of evangelism. All are to share the gospel. All are to bring people to hear the gospel. But some of you have this gift of evangelism and you just have the ability to share the gospel empowered by God's spirit in such a way that many are drawn to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Continue to evangelize. Praise the Lord for the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out harvesters, laborers into his harvest field. You are the harvesters. Then there's the gift of giving. All of us are commanded to give our first fruits to the Lord, the church. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. If we're not giving the first fruits, of our income to the Lord, to the local church. We're out of step with Scripture. That's very clear. But some, some have the gift of giving, and it's not about being wealthy or poor. It's not about one's capacity to give. It's about a heart to give. And some have the gift of giving, and you give way beyond what God requires of each of us. And thank you for your gift. And then there's shepherding, poimain. Shepherds teach the flock, they care for the flock, they love people. They doctor the wounded, they sometimes afflict the comfortable. Poimain shepherds care for people and so earnestly want people to live for Jesus. Well, these are a few of the gifts in the next few weeks. We might talk about a few others. But I want to close with an illustration. It's an illustration about cancer. Now, with so many medical personnel at Highland, you guys know a lot more than I do. I'm going to use layman terms. Cancer are cells in the body that are deviant cells. They're not about getting with it. They're not purposeful. Cancer cells attach oneself and steal nutrients and they steal blood and they steal oxygen, but they're not purposeful. They're not helpful. They're deviant. They're destructive. They're takers. They're not givers. That's what cancer cells are like. Now, in the body, of course, we want to get rid of cancer cells. So in that case, my, my illustration breaks down. But I want to say this. We don't want to be only takers. We also want to be givers, all of us. We want the nutrients, don't we? We want to be connected. We should want biblical sermons. We should want biblical teaching. We should want worship music. We should want places to get wisdom. We should want counseling. We should want the body, one anotherness. 
We should want all of that and much more. We should want that. But we don't want to just be takers. We also want to be givers. We want to utilize the spiritual giftedness that God has entrusted to each one of us for the body, for the church, to build up the kingdom, to advance God's glory. That's what you, I, we should want. And many of you, you do that so well. Thank you. Others of you are probably going to begin to do so. Maybe you'll look at that spiritual gift inventory or ask others how you can get involved. Thank you. May we all utilize the giftedness entrusted to us for God's glory. Let's pray. Father God, uh, that you would entrust us with spiritual gifts is amazing. That you would save us from our sins through faith in Jesus, utterly amazing. And then empower us to be a part of your work. Incredible. Father, help us to be about your kingdom, about your business, about your work, for your glory. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.